0: Hello and welcome to our In The Zone podcast on immuno-oncology. I am Naima Mondrell, editor of Bioanalysis Zone, and I have the pleasure of talking to Dominic Warino, the senior scientific advisor at KCAS.
1: Thank you, Namar. Looking forward to the opportunity to discuss immuno-oncology with you today. It's an exciting topic and one that's near and dear to my heart.
0: So firstly, could you introduce yourself?
1: Hello, my name is Dominic Warino. I'm the senior scientific advisor at KCAS, I joined the company in 2013. Um, I have a broad range of experience in a variety of techniques, including ECL, ELISA, RIA, flow cytometry, ELISPOT, cell-based assays, and Luminex. Have over 25 years of experience uh, developing and validating immunological assays for biotech and pharmaceutical companies, as well as in the CRO and academic space. Spent several years in a reference laboratory called Viracore IBT. I've also worked for two immuno-oncology biotech companies in the Boston area developing ex vivo autologous therapies for the treatment of various cancers. Currently been in the CRO space for about the last decade and have worked on over hundred different large molecule compounds for developing and validating PK, PD, ADA and biomarker assays for support of preclinical to phase four testing. Great.
0: How does immuno-oncology fit into the bioanalytical field?
1: Good question. Let's just first define immuno-oncology. I tend to think of it as the body's own immune system fighting cancer. Specifically, immune system has adaptive as well as innate immune cells. So how does BioA fit into this? Well, most notably, it would be monitoring immune cells. And by monitoring immune cells, I mean their proliferation as well as activation. And that can be through some sort of ex vivo activation or in vitro stimulation. Additionally, you can look at biomarkers, and there can be a wide range of biomarkers that are important for immuno-oncology, and they can be multiplexed or single-plexed, as well as cell-based pharmacodynamic methods, and that's predominantly where the bioanalytical field falls for immuno-oncology. And those are mechanism of actions, those can really um, help support the therapy. Most of the bioanalytical work is currently in phase one, there are very few in any late stages, and this is predominantly done by the sponsor. It's not like a biologic at all, so there's no traditional PK, as well as there's not an anti-drug antibody response, although you have to be judicious with your immunogenicity program. So for bioanalytical, in the immuno-oncology space, it's going to rely on the pharmacodynamic testing predominantly. And when it comes to PD methods, you got to get creative, and it's a real iterative approach. I almost see where the immuno-oncology field is in terms of its bioanalytical testing where the immunogenicity field was late in the late 1990s to 2000s and we've seen how that field has grown over the last say 20 years. Could you
0: describe how KCAS are involved in immuno-oncology and the technologies that you use?
1: We're primarily cell-based pharmacodynamic and biomarket methodologies and testing. Additionally we do immunogenicity testing. So let me reiterate that. We perform primarily cell-based pharmacodynamic methods, as well as biomarker and immunogenicity testing. We currently support several IO programs, or as I refer to IO, I mean immuno-oncology programs. The majority are, again, in the pharmacodynamic and biomarker space for support of cell and gene therapies. We also provide immunogenicity support. we be very judicious not to call that an anti-drug antibody, because it's not the actual drug we're looking at an antibody against whatever the impact of the therapy is or more specifically the technologies we use to support amino oncology are flow cytometry and that's for cell-based methods as well as what we call live cell methods so those can be whole bloods or whole blood sample testing as well as pbmc's or peripheral blood mononuclear cell testing we also have the electrochemoluminescence technology by msd and this can be used for multiplexing of biomarkers or single plexing of a biomarker, as well as it can be the endpoint for some of our cell-based methods. We also have the Single Molecular Array Samoa instrument, which is used for primarily biomarker analysis with ultra-high sensitivity, as well as the traditional ELISA, which can be in the formats of fluorescence and luminescence cell-based methods
0: what are the advantages and challenges you face with these techniques and how does your group's recent work address these problems?
1: Okay, let's start with the challenges so the major challenge is there's typically no reference standard available or rarely is there a reference standard available specifically when one's doing a pharmacodynamic test so that that becomes the biggest challenge how you overcome that is where the creativity and the iterative approach needs to be taken um, another is sample integrity So sample integrity is a problem for all bioanalytical methods, but most notably in this space, because you're dealing with PBMCs, again, peripheral blood mononuclear cells. And sometimes you have multiple sites. Not only are there mishaps when that, just the generation or isolation of them. Also the freezing and thawing of them can be impactful. So that's a real major challenge. And then I like to think of the instrumentation and scientists. So the instrumentation can be very complex. So you need a highly skilled scientist. You know, that, again, that applies for a lot of bioanalytical, but most notably when you think about things like flow cytometry and ELISA, you're going to need some real expertise there. And lastly, it's reagents, and that's a problem with just about every, again, bioanalytical method. But it becomes even more challenging when you don't have a reliable reference standard. You got to go out and procure reagents. You got to think about how you're going to bridging, and you can't just think about tomorrow. You do have to have a little bit of forward thinking. So that's a long list of challenges, right? But what's the advantage? So the real advantage is it provides you with functional data or mechanism of action data, which allows you to stratify your clinical data or preclinical data for that matter. But, you know, this, this pharmacodynamic testing and these things can really be the success or failure of a given drug. It provides you with functional data or mechanism of action data. This allows you to stratify your results, which can be the determination of the success or failure of a given therapeutic. Some examples of some recent work, We have a client whose therapy is a stem cell therapy, and they had a pharmacodynamic assay that was developed by an academic lab. They have absolutely no PK available to them, so this pharmacodynamic assay will be their primary bioanalytical method. This method will be used for support of preclinical and clinical trials. So we have a lot of experience with cell-based methods. We also understand the regulatory requirements. This allowed us to take this academic method, and they didn't even have controls at the time. We developed three levels of controls, and that was a a process, obviously. We had to get the right matrix, the right materials, the right reagents to make those controls for them. So that allowed us to subsequently provide them with reliable and defendable data off of this method. can't do that without controls. So that's one example of a recent success. We also do the immunogenicity program for that. The second example of a recent success is a flow cytometry method for support of a phase one human trial. So this was a multi-site trial, and the whole blood sample had to be analyzed within 24 hours for their particular phenotyping panel, which became somewhat problematic. So we were able to qualify a method for them, a flow cytometry-based method that stabilized, that using a blood collection stabilization tube, which provided seven-day stability of this whole blood sample. So not only did this solve the problem of any sort of shipping delays, it also allowed them to batch the samples. And that, we estimated, was about a $50,000 savings because we were able to run the samples in batches.
0: How can these techniques be regulated and standardized?
1: So I think the key word here is verification. When you lack a true positive control, you must develop a process to verify the reagent, the operator, and the instrument. That is again where We have a lot of expertise in helping people do this, but that's the best way to take this approach. You're going to have to use some sort of surrogate control until you start screening actual patient samples, and then you can start to look at ways of developing true controls as well as continuing the validation of your method. That's why I talk about an iterative process. There are some good journals out there for flow cytometry. Most notably, in the Journal of Immunological Methods, there's a two-part publication titled The Validation of Flow Cytometric Testing During Drug Development, which is a great resource for anyone doing flow-regulated testing. And then for ELISPOT, there's an ICH guideline that was issued actually in 1994 and finalized in 2005. It's called The Validation of Analytical Procedures, and Methodology Q2R1, and that's the predominant regulatory guideline for ELISPOTs. So lastly, there's an AAPS pharmacokinetic focus group, which I'm part of, And that group is focused on emerging modalities, which is what we're sort of talking about today. And one of them, they they have a a white paper coming up that's in draft that should be published soon for bispecific antibodies. But there's also talks of a cell therapy, and I'm hoping that that can come out and really help with um, standardizing and regulating these techniques.
0: What are KCS plans for the next few years for the immuno-oncology field?
1: So LE spots, we have a lot of, Expertise in this area, we've just built out our cell culture suite to allow us to start offering L.E. spots here in 2018. We also have a team of scientists with a lot of expertise. We've supported as a group over 12 or 13 different L.E. spot studies across a variety of different therapies. So that's a big initiative for us in 2018, as well as we're in the process of qualifying three methods for uh, PBMC isolations talked about sample integrity, so this can be a key challenge and one that we hope we can help people solve. And those PBMC isolations are done through the cell preparation tube or the CPT tube, the leucocept tube, or a traditional FICOL. We also plan on bringing on cell-based biomarker imaging. This is a novel approach that we think could really help the IO space. Additionally, we plan on expanding our flow cytometry panels and perhaps bringing on another in- different instrument to expand the number of colors we can offer. And lastly, we're evaluating the sing- single molecular counting ARENA system for biomarker support.
0: And finally, what do you think the future holds for immuno-oncology?
1: So I like to think that in the 1990s, it was T-cells. Now, people were doing ex-vivo autologous therapies with T-cells. And at the time, they really didn't understand how MHC processing took place or even how that, that was emerging at the time. So the therapies were ahead of sort of the science. And in the late 2000s, dendritic cells popped onto the scene and everybody started to understand how DCs educated or interacted with T cells and MHC processing. And so people were doing dendritic cell therapies or even peptide therapies. So now they've engineered uh, T cells. So we've made that, of, currently we're engineering T cells. And that's where the success is coming, you know, CAR T cells or even gene and cell therapies are getting so specific that this is leading to some success. So I sort of see the future of a combination of adaptive, where we're at with T-cell therapies and innate, maybe some dendritic cell, or even people are looking at NK cell therapies. So a combination of those could only further the immuno-oncology field, as well as ADCs will play an important role in immuno-oncology, whether it's in combination with CAR T-cell or whatever it may be, I think those are having success as well. So one other aspect of the future of immuno-oncology is it's got to address some of the toxicity issues, and I think those are areas where the refinement of these therapies is going to help reduce some of that, as well as the manufacturing challenges. So currently, most uh, CAR T-cell or even gene therapy is done at a single site because you, cl- you need a clean room. You, you know, It's a highly as- aseptic technique there. So that's a challenge in terms of trying to provide therapies at an affordable rate across you know, globally or even you know, even you know nationally. But what I do know is we cure more people today than we did yesterday and we'll cure more people tomorrow than we did today.
0: Great. Thank you for listening to this Bioanalysis Zone podcast and thank you, Dominic, for joining me. You can find more content from our In The Zone feature on immuno-oncology on our website at www.bioanalysis-zone.com. Thanks for listening.